you may have recognized that I am not Pastor Jason for the second week in a row. Last week, Jason was with the team down in Guatemala at the Casa Shalom Orphanage, and they had an amazing visit, and um, you'll be hearing more about that, I'm sure, from all of the people that went, and probably a little more from Jason next week. This week, however, he is under the weather, not feeling well. Um, he's been down for the last three or four days and asked me to come up here and take the big week, Esther chapter 4. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. I love this. We've obviously been working on this together. Um, I've read through this book several times over the past few weeks. So I get to share one of my favorite um, chapters from the book with you guys this morning in week 4. I do want to catch you up just real quickly if, um, you know, if you haven't been paying close attention or you forgot everything that happened in the previous weeks, as sometimes we do. Let me give you a quick what happened last episode recap. Um, the whole book of Esther is a little bit controversial due to the fact that the motives of some of the, the, the people and the characters are not always clear, and, and they're not always agreed upon by Bible scholars. When we look back at the book of Esther, as a matter of fact, some commentary said, this is a tough book to preach, so you, you may not even want to preach this because people don't always agree on why they did this or what the motivations were, and so um, the name of God isn't even mentioned in the entire book of Esther. However, we do know that this is the Jewish people. This is post being in captivity, that they were pre uh, previously in captivity under the Babylonians. So it's a, a story of Jewish people currently living in Persia after many of their people had returned to Judah by being released or freed by the Persians when the Persians conquered the Babylonians. So some of the Jewish people got to go back to Judah where they originally were, where the kingdoms were, where the kings were, you know, Solomon and David and all that. Some of the people went back some of the people chose to remain in this region of Persia in a city called Susa. Um, so it's kind of a rags to riches tale for Esther, who was our main player. Um, she was one of the Jews living there with her uncle Mordecai, and the king looks for a new queen. Esther kind of goes through the whole, you know, tryout process of, of becoming queen. He chooses her over many other women. She becomes queen now with King Xerxes, the Persian king. Uh, Mordecai, her uncle, has instructed her to keep quiet about her nationality because the, the Jews are not always looked upon kindly by the Persians and the, the customs are different, the faith is different, the beliefs are different, and so they kind of just keep quiet, blend in with the culture, make a living there in the region of Persia, and they're getting along pretty well. Mordecai actually gets a job in the palace, so things aren't going too poorly for the Jews there. They're, they're actually not under, you know, under slavery anymore, right? So they're living there freely of their own free will. But um, as things go well, just like in life, something bad happens. This guy named Haman is promoted above Mordecai um, by King Xerxes. Haman is an Agagite, which means he's an Amalekite. Amalekites are the sworn enemies of the Israelites, right? So it's, it's like, you know, all these you know, UK fans just living in the region, um, trying to keep quiet, and then all of a sudden, a L fan is promoted over the UK fans, and here's what happens. The, the guy that's promoted over, he's like, you need to bow to me, and you know how UK fans are. They're like, no, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not bowing to you. Do you know who we are, right? And so you got that kind of deal going on. Listen, we laugh because that's the way we are here. We really are. If you're a UK or a L fan, you get this. They just don't like each other, okay? Has nothing to do with Haman, Mordecai. They don't even know each other up until this point. But he's like, you're an Amalekite. I'm an, I'm an Israelite. We don't like each other. I ain't bowing to you. Causes some trouble. Um, Haman gets his feelings hurt, as those kind of people usually do. Gets his feelings hurt. Um, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist. 
um, gets his feelings hurt, and he decides, you know what, instead of me just exacting revenge on Mordecai, the guy that has hurt my feelings, I'm going to wipe them all out. Let's just eliminate the entire university and get UK out of the, out of the whole state. UofL, we'll just take over. We'll call ourselves University of Louisville in Kentucky. There'll be no more UK. Let's just wipe them all out. So he goes to the king, and he says, king, there's this group of people living in our area, and they're different than us, right? They wear blue. They do all kinds of weird things. They've won eight championships. We don't even know what that's about. So we got to... We got to get those guys out of here. We gotta, we've got to kill them all. So he convinces the king. The king, listen, the king's a Tennessee fan. He doesn't even really care about one way or the other, right? So the king's just listening to the story. None of this is in my notes, by the way. It, just, it came to me. Divine Holy Spirit came to me this morning. So the king doesn't even really care about what's happening, but Haman does such a good job of convincing him that all the UK fans are evil, the Israelites. So they want to, they want to get rid of them. By the way, you notice I put UK fans in as Israelites, God's chosen people. They, they, so, so, Hello, is this thing on? The guy, <laughs> the guy in the sound booth is a U of L fan. <laughs> so, oh, what were we talking about? Um, so, so he says we're going to get rid of all the Israelites. The king agrees to it, and they, say, so they issue a decree that that all the Israelites are going to be eradicated from from the region of Persia in March. They, and they figured out it was going to be March because they're very scientific back in those days. They rolled some dice, and that's what the dice said. The dice said March. So they go with March. And this is where we pick up today in the beginning of Esther chapter 4. Esther's living in the palace, right? She's the queen. And so she's, you know, she's still a Jew, living in a Persian palace, doesn't even know yet what's happened to her people, all because of this argument between Mordecai and Haman, and Haman saying, let's get rid of them. All the Jews are now in, in you know, their mass confusion. They're wondering, what's, what have we done? The people weren't even involved in this. They just get a decree issued to them that says, you're going to die, and it's going to be in March. And so we open up with chapter 4 um, in verse 1, and it says this, Mordecai learned about all that had been done. When he did, here's what he did. He tore his clothes, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure why this was a custom. Like They would tear their clothes. At some point, the moms would say, just gently remove the shirt and put on the sackcloth. That way we don't have to buy you another shirt when this is all over. But, but they do this. They tear the clothes as a, as a sign of, you know, mourning and, and frustration and, and anger. And so, so they tear the clothes, and he puts on the sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes to indicate that he is in mourning. And he goes out, and he sits at the city gate, and he's crying. He's not allowed to go into the city when he's like this, so he goes as far as he can to the gate. So we open up with Mordecai figuring out, okay, we're all going to die, and it's probably my fault. So he's got this weighing heavily on him. And here's what happens. All of the Jews are kind of upset at this time, right? They all figure out what's going on. They all start to fast. And here's where I kind of, you know, you realize they're fasting and they're praying. And so the name of God isn't mentioned, but these are Israelites. They're Jews, and they're fasting. Who are they fasting to? They're fasting to God. These people are still practicing, you know, their faith, right? And so they begin to fast that God would deliver them from, from what has happened. And so Esther hears that Mordecai is at the gate, and she, she, she sends one of the eunuchs out to the gate to go see what's going on with Mordecai. Because remember, she's in the palace. She doesn't even know about the decree. The king doesn't know that she's Jewish, and she's missed out on what's happened. So she sends someone out to find out what's going on. So down in uh, 
verse 5. It says, Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant, right? So she sends this guy to go down to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Why is he sitting down here like this? So Mordecai relates the story to this eunuch. He's like, listen, here's what's going on. The king's going to kill us. Kind of fills him back in on the story I just gave you. He probably used some other teams besides UK and UofL because the eunuch wouldn't get that. But the eunuch understood what's going on. Goes back to tell Esther, here's what's happening and why. And in verse 8, it says this. Mordecai actually gave Hathak a copy of the written decree. He's like, here, take her this. Here, take her one of these pieces of paper. This explains everything. Hand deliver this. It says, you're going to die March the 21st or whatever it was. Give this to the queen so she knows what's going on. So the, the guy decides he'll take it back and explain to her. And here's Mordecai's last request. It says, command her to go to the king to beg for his favor and to plead on behalf of the people. So he's asking her, or he's asking the eunuch, tell, tell Esther to do something. She's got to go to the king and stop this. King Xerxes is higher in authority than, than Haman. You're the queen. Just go to him and say, hey, don't do it. Don't, don't kill these people. They're, they're good. We need them around. Sounds real simple, right? Um, except when, when Esther hears the story, she realizes it's not that easy. So she sent this message back to Mordecai down in verse 11. She said, all the king's officials and, and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law that you'll be put to death, except to the one who the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I haven't been called to come into the king for 30 days. So here's, here's the problem, she's saying. If I go and appear before the king and he hasn't called me in to see him, unless he has favor on me and, and holds out his scepter, I'll be killed. That's the law. And, you know, I know you don't like to bow and you don't like to follow the law, but I have to. I'm the queen. I got to do what, what is expected of me, and if I go in and do this, I risk being put to death. And, and remember, Xerxes is not a patient guy. He got rid of the last queen, uh, Vashti, because she wouldn't come out and parade around and show her beauty. So, like, he, he wants what he wants. He lives by his own rules. He's the king. He's not, you know, uh, uh, living under our God or our faith. He's, you know, the Persians have their own faith. So he, he's completely in control, and she realizes, queen or not, if I go in there and this guy doesn't decide, hey, he wants to see me, and, and by the way, I haven't been called in there for 30 days, I could die. This is, this is a tense, potentially bad situation for Esther to be put into. So Mordecai decides to respond back in verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply back to Esther, and I'm reading from uh, the New Living Translation. The one we got up there is a little bit different, but I'm going to read this one. It's, it's essentially the same. I like the wording that I've got here. It says, don't think for a moment. This is his response, written response back to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the Jews are killed. He's reminding her, hey, you're a Jew too, and someone's going to find out like they found out about me, and if this decree goes out, you're in trouble too. In verse 14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And here's the, here's the famous line, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Who knows if you were placed where you are for right now to do something today to make a difference? I, I, I love that he said deliverance will come somewhere else because we are God's chosen people. God will take care of us. But who knows if this is your opportunity? 
So Esther replies back in verse 16. Here's what she says. She reads it, she considers it, and she says this, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, even though it's possible and it's against the law that I might die. So I'm going to do it. I will go to the king. I will risk my life, start fasting, because this is a big deal. And so everyone did what she said. That's how the, the chapter ends up. Mordecai goes and he gets all the Jews. They start to fast for her. And this is where we're going to cut off on the scriptures. But I've got a couple of prevailing thoughts as I read through, through this, this book, or through this chapter. Um, first of all, it's a, it's a great chapter because there's so much life application to come out of this. There's so much that we can take away and so much consistency in God's word, even around what happens in this chapter. So here's, here's my two prevailing thoughts. Number one is this. God is preparing you right now for something you don't even know is going to happen. God is preparing you in your life, wherever you are, however you're living, whatever you're going through, wherever you're working, whatever your marital status is, relationship status is, however your relationship is with your kids, whether you're um, happy at your current job and your current life situation or whether you're not, God is preparing you right now for something that you don't even know is going to happen. Um, I would wager that there are a lot of Christians, believers who have been here for a long time that can look back on your life now with reflection and you've got the perspective of past to say, yeah, there were a lot of times that I was going through something and I realized that God was able to use what I went through later in my life. Just by show of hands, how many, how many believers can say, I can look back on my life and I know that to be true? Hands, hands up all over the place. We live long enough for God and we start to realize that the moments that we don't even think he's operating in our lives, he's getting us set up for something big. He's getting us set up to step up, to, to, to move up, to move on, to do something that he's called us to do. Listen, Esther thought at the time that she was called to be queen that she was just going to go live in the palace and, and have a different life. Remember, it's it, like we said last week, it's like the fairy tale story if it ends there, right? I mean, she's, she's well, we think, we don't exactly know, you know how, how great palace life was, but you've got to assume that she's being taken care of, fed well, living in a, in a posh environment. And so it seems like she's just been brought out by the stroke of luck, and she gets to be queen of the entire region. She still gets to be a Jew. She still gets to worship the way she wants. She's, she's having a great life. And so there are times in our lives that we think this is just happening, and it has no other meaning behind this than what I'm going through now. She had no inclination that she was being positioned by God for a time, for a moment, a moment in her life where she can impact the lives of everyone around her. And there are things that you have gone through that have prepared you for those moments in your life when you're going to have to step up, when you're going to have to decide, is this what God has been prepping me for? And you've got to ask yourself that. You've got you to think about that. Because remember, she wasn't even aware of what had happened between Haman and Mordecai. She didn't even know it was coming. She wasn't, she wasn't praying about it. She wasn't saying, God, my time is coming. You know, Jesus knew because he was Christ that his time was coming. And Jesus prayed, God, if... if if it's possible, take this cup from me and pass it to someone else because he knew it was happening. Most of us don't live with that foreknowledge to say this, something bad's about to go down right now. This is about to happen. Most of us just live waking up day by day thinking it's another day to go to work. It's another day to make my commute. It's another day to take care of the kids, to cook dinner, to clean up. And we just don't know when something big's about to happen. And that's the way she's living. She had no idea this was coming. So she's living the way we're living, trying to make it in life. And, and then all of a sudden, 
she finds out about this decree. Some of you guys have been positioned in exactly the same way, except you don't know it. And maybe you feel like in your life you're not doing anything, you're not accomplishing anything, you're not yet fulfilling what it is that God has called you to. And you, get, you hear us get up here and preach about big things and, and, and taking chances and risks and, and, and God using us for, for great things. And you're saying, I just don't feel like that's happening in my life. And I want to I explain to you that this is a consistent theme throughout the Bible that we go through times and phases in our lives where we don't necessarily feel like this is a God movement. But it definitely is because God needs to prepare us. God needs to place us. God, God puts the puzzle pieces in place. And as he does, what we have to do is be willing to move. You might even feel like you're in the wrong place in your life. Like, surely this isn't where God wanted me to go. Surely this isn't what God called me to. Maybe you feel like you're living a life of obscurity and unimportance. You have this sense that you, that you could be, that you should be doing something bigger with your life. That maybe you were meant for something more. Songwriters write about that, right? It's this big thought, it's this big feeling inside of all of us. Is, there, is this all there is? There's, there's something else. It's a common feeling. And the problem is, we often lament our time of preparation. We don't like the time when it doesn't feel like the lights are on and the game's happening, right? I, I, I struggle to not use sports analogies all the time, but, but listen, it, it really is the truth. Those of us who are sports fans and we, we turn on the TV when the game's about to start, we can't wait for the coin toss, the kickoff, the tip, because that's what we want to see. We want to see the, the moment of action. We want to see the 40 minutes of, of the ball being dribbled up and down the court and three-pointers and dunks and steals. And, you know, we live for that 40 minutes of action. And the guys who are out there, I'm sure they love that too. But hours and hours of preparation have gone into them getting ready for game time, right? We, we sit on our couches and we think, I could do that. I could be that. I could take that guy. As we sit there and we eat our potato chips and he's out there practicing and practicing and shooting hundreds of jumpers and hundreds of free throws, right? Preparation is the part that most of us don't like. Preparation isn't always fun. Sometimes it's just sweat. Sometimes it's just work. You know, when, I remember being on um, uh, the football team in seventh grade when I my first organized sports experience. Because before that, those of us who played sports in our neighborhoods, you don't have to practice. You just walk out there and you're like, who wants to play? You get a bunch of guys together and you start, you start the game. I mean, you maybe take a couple of warm-up shots. And I remember having to run laps around the football field. And I'm like, how is this making me a better football player? This is ridiculous. Sometimes you're not even doing what it is you think is going to contribute to what you're supposed to do. Remember the old Karate Kid movie? You know, he's having them wax on, wax off, and wax his car and paint his deck. And sometimes you're doing things in life, and the preparation that God puts you through feels exactly like that. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Why am I going through this? This has nothing to do with what God wants me to do and with who God wants me to be. And yet somehow there's going to come a time where God can use our times of seeming mundane moments to slowly shape and mold us for the times that we are needed. Trust me on this, wherever you are in your life right now, wherever you're living, whatever you're doing, God is preparing you. God can use these times to prepare you. How do I know? Because, well, I read the Bible, and that's what God does. God does it over and over and over again. Think about people in the Bible. Think about some of my favorite Bible uh, characters, some of the, my favorite people that I see. This is God's MO. Think about David, who became the greatest king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. David spent a time as a shepherd, right? 
just watching sheep, which is a very common, lowly profession back then. You know, if, if you can't go and do something bigger, just go be a shepherd. You know, everybody can do that. So they stick David, the youngest of these brothers and the smallest, out to just watch over sheep. And, and David, in his time as a shepherd, ends up having to fight off a lion, and he kills it. He ends up having to fight off a bear, and he kills it. And God is using his time as a shepherd to prepare him for the moment he's going to face the nine-foot-tall giant named Goliath. And David had no idea at the time that this is preparation for me stepping up to slay a giant. Peter, probably the most well-known of all 12 disciples, because he talked the most, right? He asked the most questions. He was kind of a loudmouth, kind of a rash guy that made a lot of, you know, bad, quick decisions. All that talking he did, all the questions he asked, all the time that Christ spent listening and answering and kind of trying to direct and guide Peter, right? Putting the guy's ear back on, pulling him out of the water when Peter was about to drown, answering Peter's questions with patience, saying, Peter, you're going to be the rock that I build my church on. All the time Christ spent answering his questions, he was preparing Peter for something that Peter didn't even want to admit that was going to happen because Christ knew, look, I'm going to be gone and you're going to have to step up. And he was preparing Peter for the day of Pentecost when Peter would step up and deliver a sermon that, that led 3,000 people to Christ in one day. Joshua following Moses, just saying, hey, look, I'll be a... I'll be the second man to one of the greatest leaders in the entire history of the Bible. I'll walk around behind Moses. I'll do what he needs me to do. I'll be faithful. I'll be obedient. I'll wait. I will toe the line, and I will do what is asked of me. He's not knowing the entire time that God is preparing him for the moment that Moses dies, and he's going to be called up to lead the nation of Israel. God takes our time behind the scenes, our time out of the spotlight, our quiet moments, our trying times, and our tests and our trials, he takes those things to prepare us for the moment that we need to step up and make a stand. God takes the times that you don't even think he's present in your life to say, I can still work behind the scenes. I'm making something happen right now. If you'll just, if you'll just be obedient and you'll just be ready because there's going to be a moment that you've got to step up. And that leads me to my second thought from this chapter. Number two, when it's time to make a stand, you've got to be ready. Like I said, we, we lament the, the down times. I need something to happen. I need, I need something big. I, I, I want to I fulfill my destiny, right? I want to be who God called me to be. And then the moment comes, and, and usually the moment isn't a moment of glory. Usually the moment is a moment of trial, a moment of trouble, a moment of, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? And we got two options. We can either step up or we can give up, and a lot of people just give up. A lot of people say, this surely isn't what God prepared me for. Things seem like they're going terrible. That's exactly what Esther could have done, right? God, you positioned me. You put me here in the palace, and all of a sudden, all my people are about to die. This, this is what you prepared me for? And my only option is to go in and possibly have myself killed? No, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't exciting. I thought I'd be singing on the praise team. Not going out and risking my life. I thought I would have a spotlight. Not fire at my feet. You know? Most of us, we... we when God gives us our chances, it's because he says, listen, I've positioned some things because this was going to go down, and you're the person that I need to step up right here. And we're like, mm, no, that's, that's not what I was thinking it was going to be. You mean, God, you prepared me all this time just to go into a hospital when one of my family members is sick and to, to share your gospel? Why does somebody have to get sick? I, why does something bad have to happen for me to do something for you? But God says, look, the bad things are going to happen. What we're trying to do is work among those things to bring as many people as we can to know who I am. And so, and so Esther 
could be standing there saying, maybe I shouldn't have come to be queen after all. Maybe I've done the wrong thing. How many times have you questioned? Did I make the right decision? Am I in the right place? Did I do that? Because maybe I could have just stayed at home with Mordecai, and when I found out he wasn't bowing to Haman, I could have just said, Uncle, listen, if you don't do this, it's going to be bad. I could have talked him out of it. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. I moved into the palace, and now everything fell apart. I must have done the wrong thing. Have you ever had those thoughts? Why did God bring me to this city only to lose my job? Why did, why did I move here and then this went wrong? Why did, why did I leave my family and go with this person and then the situation got rocky and every, this is just bad. I'm just going to give up. Just give up on God because it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And obviously my will and my direction is the one that I thought was God's. And so most of us face those situations and we say, no, I'm not going to step up and be obedient and be faithful because it's ugly. It's not fun. It comes at great personal risk, personal sacrifice. But what I'm trying to throw out to you is this idea that when it's time to make a stand in your life, first of all, you've got to realize that no matter what situation you're in, obedience to God means God can use you no matter how you're feeling, no matter how it's looking, no matter what else is going on. Too often we, we freeze because we're scared or we're unwilling. And I, I get that. I really do. Because the truth is, speaking up and standing up often comes with a cost. And sometimes the cost is more than we're willing to pay. Esther recognized immediately that if she was going to do anything about the situation that was in front of her, that she had to put herself at great personal risk. And sometimes that's just where we start to question things. God, if you were calling me to do this, would it really cost me so much? That's a silly question, isn't it? But it's hard, to, it's hard to inject that perspective sometimes into a story where we look back and we already know the ending. We look through the Bible stories and we're like, of course that's what she had to do. And of course that's what she should have done. Because we know the ending. We know that God is at work. Isn't it great to look back and say, well, I know God's going to work this out. So, I mean, you've got to do it. And I, let me give you a little prediction on the future. Every time you face another situation in your life, God's still at work. God's still got a plan. And God's going to work things out. What we've got to do is say, I'm willing to be part of that. Instead of, I'm just going to cower and back down and say, I'm not willing to pay the price. In our own lives, we're just not as sure as when we can look back. We question and we debate and we wonder, should I? But there are moments that you know that you have a chance to do something. You know, you know you have a chance to have an influence, to make a decision, to say a word, to have a conversation. You feel it in your gut. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's actually the Holy Spirit kind of prompting you, and you realize I should do something. I should say something. You'll have your time in the spotlight when all eyes and ears are on you, and your stage may not be a literal stage, and your spotlight may not be a literal light, but you're going to have a moment where you realize what I say and do next will alter the situation that I'm facing, for better or for worse. Mordecai said this to Esther. Look, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will come from some other place. Because God's not going to let his entire plan fall apart when you don't take the role that he assigned you to play. God's still going to bring his will to pass. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will still come. But you know what? It's going to come at great sacrifice to us anyway we're going to miss out we're going to lose out the jews are going to go on and do what god said the jews are going to do but here's what's going to happen esther you and your relatives will probably die and you won't be used 
who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? So he says, Esther, this is it. This is your time. I know I told you to keep quiet before. We spent a couple of weeks in this message talking about blending, waiting for a way to kind of get a voice, right? Conforming to our culture just to the point so that we can gain some trust and respect and, and, and fit in to say we've got influence among the people that God sent us here to reach. If they're not willing to listen to you, you're not going to reach any of them. So, it's to, so to some degree, you have to make some friends. You have to go to work. You have to, you have to exist in the world that we live in, right? But we exist as salt and light to this world. So as we're among the world, we've got to, we've got to realize that there are times we've got to stand up and stand out and stand apart. And so Mordecai says, Esther, this is it. And I know you're scared. But in this case, the cause is greater than the fear. What's going to happen, the end result is more important than what you're afraid of. She was scared. Of course she was scared. She allowed her fear to make her pause, but she did not allow it to paralyze her. Remember the three examples that we used a few minutes ago? Joshua, when the command came from God at the moment of Moses' death, that, hey, this is your time to step up. This is your time to lead the nation of Israel. Joshua said, you know what? I'm just a servant and I'm obedient and I'll do it. And Joshua is the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua is the one who was with them when they marched uh, around the city and the walls came tumbling down in Jericho. Joshua is the one who led the Israelites to most of their victories along the way that God had said that they were going to have. Joshua stepped up, and because of his obedience, God used him greatly. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, having never preached a public sermon before, when he was asked by why all the disciples were speaking in tongues and, and acting crazy, and people were saying, are you guys just drunk? Because the Holy Spirit had fallen, and all the disciples were speaking in tongues. He's the one who says, you know what? Somebody's got to step up. He says, no, we're not drunk. It's the early in the day, but let me tell you what's actually going on in our lives. And he preached the most amazing sermon, the longest sermon recorded in the Bible behind the Sermon on the Mount that Christ spoke. And 3,000 people in one day came to know Christ because Peter said, it's my time, and I may not feel ready, and I may not be qualified, and I'm certainly not the Christ who I follow for three years, but he prepared me for this day and this time, and I'm going to step up, and I'm going to talk. David, when his, when his moment came, there was no hesitation. This guy was brash, and he was ready. All he had done up to this point was was be a shepherd, but now he stands across the valley from a nine-foot-tall dude wearing armor, threatening to kill anyone who comes against him, and David just picks up some stones, and he starts running at the guy, and all he's got is a little sling, and he's, he's tiny compared to this giant, but he says, listen, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of my living God. He was ready for his moment when it came, having had no military training, not wearing an ounce of armor, only saying, God prepared me for this moment in my life, and if I need to step up, I'm stepping up. And if i got to die in doing so, I will. But this is what God prepared me for. I'm going to close with these thoughts. I don't know what your time will look like when it comes. Like I said, it, it may not be tackling a giant, but it might. It may not be on a stage, but it might. It might be a quiet moment at home. It might be a moment in a hospital or a moment in the in the copy room at work it might be sitting in a mall somewhere you don't know when your moment is going to come listen there are, there are stories in the bible of people following the urging of the holy spirit to go talk to somebody thomas was just out walking and he saw a carriage going by and he felt you know what i should go talk to that guy I didn't even know who was inside and he goes and leads this this ethiopian to to christ your moments are going to come when you least expect them and your preparation is now 
But when the moment hits, it's just going to take obedience. For most of us, there are going to be many opportunities, recurring chances to have impact after impact, to speak up, to speak out, and to change the lives of, of the people that God puts us in touch with. Like I said, it may not... It may not be in front of hundreds, it may not be in front of thousands, but I promise you that when your moment hits, it will be just as important. Every single person you have a chance to impact is important. It might, and it might cost you something. It might jeopardize a job. It might jeopardize a relationship. You may worry about losing respect. Most of us will never live with the fear that speaking out about our faith might cost us our lives. But there are people living in countries today where that's the case. And they realize that just saying the name of Christ publicly could get me in trouble. And what if it came to that? What if it came to that and you're facing what Esther faces and you say, you know what? I feel like this is what God's calling me to, but I gotta risk everything. Are you ready and are you willing when your time comes? You gotta recognize that God's preparing you now and you don't know what's coming. But when that moment comes, you've got to be willing and you've got to be ready. When it happens, I promise you this. Here's the good news. You don't have to worry about the outcome. See, we're not in charge of outcomes. We're not in charge of responses. We're not in charge of other people's hearts. All we're accountable for is what we do and our obedience. God's still the guy who changes hearts. God's still the guy who determines outcomes. God's still the one who's in charge of the outcomes. God takes care of that part of it. You just got to be obedient. And that's what God's calling you to right now, is a willingness to be obedient. Every time in my life I've had a chance to step up and do something else in church, I haven't felt like I was ready. I still don't feel like I'm good enough. I, I didn't spend a life in preparation to stand here before you guys and talk to you about Esther 4. I just said, God, I'm obedient. And I promise you this, you're going to have opportunities because of obedience that you never thought you were going to have to do things that you never thought you could do. And you don't even have to worry about how it turns out because if you're obedient to God, God uses that. The Bible says obedience is, is better than sacrifice, right? That's what he wants out of your life. He just wants you to say, God, whenever you call me, whenever it's game time, put me in, coach, I'm ready to play. I'm ready to go simple obedience. Be ready and be obedient. Jason's going to be back next week to take us through the details of Esther's plan where she's, you know, we leave off with her saying, you know what, I'll do it. I'll figure something out. You guys pray and fast because this is going to be big and I'm going to need your prayers. Jason's going to walk us through what she does and how she does it and we get to see how it pays off and how it plays out. But today as we close, I just want to ask these last two questions. Number one, ask yourself this. Am I open to God's guidance and influence in my current situation? Am I open to the fact that, that God may have put me here? Am I open to, to God maneuvering my life and saying, God, if this is where you wanted me, will you show me what it is I should be doing? Will you teach me what it is I should be learning at this job, in this relationship, in this situation, with no money, in this house, in this neighborhood, whatever it is you're facing? Will you just say, God, can you tell me what it is I should be doing now? Because I don't want to let this time pass me by. I don't want to miss out on my planning and my preparation, God. I want you to prepare me for whatever it is. And I don't know when it's going to happen, but God, I want to be open to you. And question number two, am I willing to be obedient no matter what he asks me to do? 
am I ready? Am I ready to step up? When I'm standing there on the side of the hill and the guy that's standing across from me opposing me is nine feet tall and looks a lot meaner and tougher than I am, am I willing to just charge and say, you know what? God wanted me to do it, so I'm in. Am I willing to take a chance that says I might look stupid? I might seem like I'm wrong. I might be the only one on this side. But I'm obedient. Whatever it is you call me to do, that's what God's asking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you. And God, we recognize that you are moving in our lives, even when it doesn't always feel that way. God, I thank you for the fact that, God, you prepared me for years to do things that I didn't know I was going to do. And Father, I'm, I am so thankful that when the time came, I was willing to be obedient despite my fear, despite the fact that there are other people who could do much better than I could. But God, you take us in our situations and you use us and it's for your glory, not ours anyway. Father, I pray that everybody here this morning understands that sense and just has this burning desire, God, and this willingness and openness to follow you and obey you in every situation. With all heads continue to be bowed and everybody's eyes are closed, no one's looking around, I just want to give this opportunity. We try to do this every week. If you're here this morning and you're saying, look, I get what you're saying about obedience and, and, and following God and listening, but I haven't taken that step. If that's you this morning, if you haven't given your life to Christ, or maybe you did at one point and you've, you've walked away and you haven't been living for him the way you know you should, we just want to give you that chance to kind of make a commitment today that says, I want to follow Christ with that obedience you were talking about. And all we're going to do is ask you to just raise your hand real simply and look up. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you stand up or come up here. We're just going to give you a bag with some stuff that we feel like will help you. If that's you this morning and you need Christ in your life, can you just throw your hand up right now? Just raise it up and, and keep it up and Someone's going to come to you. Just keep it up for a second. Someone's going to come to you and just drop something off. And when they've given you that, you can put it back down. Anyone else this morning? We're going to give it just another, another few seconds here. Anyone else this morning? I need Christ in my life. All right, we're going to pray together as we close out, just asking God for direction and for forgiveness. Let's, let's all pray this as we close. And you say it in your own words because all it takes is a sincerity from your heart as you pray for God to come into your life. Let's all pray together. God, I love you and I thank you, God. I'm asking you, God, to forgive me right now of anything that has kept me from you, God. Any, anything that has separated me, any sin in my life, God, I ask for your forgiveness. And Father, I need you to lead me, to guide me, and to direct me to the next thing that you want me to do. Father, I thank you for this church family that surrounds us, surrounds each other, and stands by one another as we take this journey together. God, I thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray.